Hey, we're uh, back in our study of Book of Esther and uh, talking about how God's at work behind the scenes. And this morning, the title of the message is called When Push Comes to Shove. You know, that phrase has been used oftentimes in a lot of our lives. And this morning, we're going to see how it worked in Esther's life. I remember, sometimes, I don't know about you, but when we think about push comes to shove, it actually means when sometimes the intensity of a situation calls for greater urgency, uh, it creates maybe even perhaps greater clarity. It's a time when we, we go from maybe a gentle push to you know, two by four upside the head, and sometimes we need that in our lives. Uh, I know when I go back to my own life uh, a number of years ago when I had to uh, let somebody go on my staff, and I remember him coming into the office and and uh, he was sitting down with me, and he was a little bullish, and it was causing quite a few problems with the chemistry of our staff. And, and I said, you know, I, I think it's probably time for you to consider maybe thinking about planning a church, doing something on your own, because it's just not working here. Wouldn't you agree? And he looked at me, and he said, no, I disagree. And I said, um, well, you know, it's just uh, apparently not working very well, and I think it's maybe... T- Look, he said, he said to me, he said, it's not time for me to leave. I don't feel like God wants me to leave, so I'm not leaving. And so the moment of urgency arrived where I said, well, you know, I hate to say this, but then you're fired. And that was a push that went to a shove. So uh, it was a rough one. But that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's look at the book of Esther again. We're going to be in chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. And we're going to see how Mordecai was used to take Esther from a push to a shove. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There's a certain people dispersed and scattered among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom whose customs are different from those of all other people and who did not obey the king's laws. Let me just stop and give you a little background. You remember Haman was the guy who was terribly offended by Mordecai for not bowing down to him. You remember that uh, Haman was at Agagite, if you remember, and which hated the Jews. And so because Haman or Mordecai refused to bow down to him, he created this scheme in order to have all the Jews annihilated. So let's move on. It's not about the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will put 10,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury for the men who carry out this business. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. Now notice when he gave him the signet ring, he basically was making a decree from the Medes and the Persians, which could not be revoked. So let's move here because we see that here was Haman's approach to the king. And there was something as I was reading this that kind of struck me. And I thought, what a typical manipulative uh, patronizing approach that Haman took that worked. Why? Because he was appealing to the king's ego. So his approach was very persuasive. And the reason why I say that is that he said, first of all, he said, I'm going to, he was going to state his case. And so he said, these people are uniquely different. They're not like us, King Xerxes. They're, 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 they're this weird bunch of people and they don't obey the king's laws, which would really obviously frustrate an egomaniac like the king. And then he goes on to say, it's not the king's best interest. He said, you know, king, it's not in your best interest. It was kind of like, no, really, it was not in Haman's best interest. But he was trying to transfer that ownership over to the king. And so he tried to do as best as he could to kind of appease the king, patronize him and say, if it pleases the king, you know, you know, king, you know, it's not about me. It's about you. And then he goes on to say, you know, I'll even pay for it. I'll even pay for all of the finances that we'll take in order to get this decree out to all the people. I'll I'll pay out of my own pocket. 
And I thought, what a patronizing, manipulative approach. And I'm, I'm just thinking that there was a principle that I gleaned out of that. And I know that I've experienced it like you have. We're often being manipulated when there is an appeal to our ego. You ever been there? I can think of timeshare presentations. Have you ever done that? You know, that salesman, he's got all the right stuff. You know, you and your family deserve a good vacation. You know, you really need that time away for your family. And if you're not taking a great vacation, you're really missing out. And oh, by the way, today we're offering these properties or this timeshare on sale. And if you wait till tomorrow, it's going to go up so many hundreds of dollars. And so we have got a deal for you. But it can happen at home in your family life. It can happen with people that come alongside you and patronize your ego and try to, to, to put a spin on it so that you feel like you're the one in control and you're the one that's getting ownership when in reality you've been totally manipulated. Well, that's how Haman dealt with King Xerxes. Well, the approach works, and as you can see, he gives him a signet ring, and he makes this decree that went out to all the land to annihilate the Jewish people. So let's move on and see what happens after that. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. That's how Middle Easterners really practiced mourning, as they literally, loudly and bitterly would wail. You can imagine what the city of Susa must have sounded like when the Jews found out about this. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. It was an absolute disaster for the Jews. They were totally frustrated and upset and felt totally vulnerable. And Mordecai felt responsible. But there's something that I see here that I think we can glean out of that particular portion of the story. And that is this, that suffering often brings people together. You remember when the 19 firefighters passed away? This town came together like nothing. I mean, the Quad City areas was amazing, the kind of cooperation and encouragement that this entire town surrounded the suffering that was taking place. I think of going back to 9-11, and our whole country seemed to come together over the suffering of those 3,000 lives that were lost. Suffering can have its positives in that it does bring people together because we go into survival mode, and that's what was happening with the Jewish people at this point. But in the meantime, Esther hears of Mordecai's wailing and sackcloth and ashes, and it bothered her so. And so we pick up the story now in verses 6 through 8. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for the annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and to explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. So Mordecai starts with what I would call a push. His push was is that he was able to come to her, hopefully, with 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 the facts. You know, you remember the old uh, TV show Dragnet and Joe Friday would come and he would say, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. Well, here, here is what Mordecai was trying to do. He was trying to be very unemotional to an extent, trying to be very practical and very objective. And he was trying to plead his case to Esther to help her understand what the situation was. Now, you wonder why Esther didn't know about this edict. Well, it's not, 
unusual for the women to be totally marginalized like I've shared before in that day, plus the fact that she probably couldn't read the edict because women were not educated and so they were illiterate. And so this whole edict had to be fully explained and given to Esther for her to actually digest. And so here's a principle that I want to bring up. When we plead our case, it is important to give the facts with our emotions under control. Here was a situation that was of great urgency, and yet this seems to weigh that Mordecai approached this as he gave these facts to her to let her digest it all, to knowing that it's not hearsay, it's not gossip, this is for real, this is what's happening, and you, might, you need to be uh, the person that needs to go to the king to save the people. And so it was, a, it was a great push, and it was done very objectively and very carefully and very factually. And I think it's a reminder for us is that when we go into crucial conversations that we go in with facts because a lot of times when we go into crucial conversations with people, we tell our own stories, right? And we have our own opinions and we have our own emotions that seem to kind of block sometimes those realities of facts. And so it's great here, he models this well where he pleads his case and give the facts so that it took some of the emotion out of the, out of, out of the picture. Well, here's Esther's response. Let's look at it in verses 9 through 11. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said, and then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life, but 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So you see a hesitation here on Esther's part. She's, she's hesitating because this was a huge risk for her. This was a, a situation where she hadn't even been summoned to the king's presence for 30 days. It's been a whole month and she has never even seen the king. And now I'm supposed to go and approach him when he hasn't even paid any attention to me for 30 days? Now here's where the rubber meets the road. And this is principle number four I want you to get. Only when we move from the safe harbor of theory to the risky world of reality do we actually make a difference. Up to this point, Esther had a pretty maid. She was in a safe place. She was in the palace. She had all the servants she ever needed or wanted. She was in a great situation. But now here's where the opportunity came for her to leave her safe harbor and move into a world of reality that could really make a difference for her people. And I'm wondering about us. Is that we can talk the talk about being a Christian and being salt and light in our world today? But when it comes to really taking those risks, and we get out of that theory of always talking about using all of our spiritualisms and all of our wonderful cliches that we use in Christianity today, and at some point, when God finally puts us into a situation where we say, either you got to put up or shut up, it's a really tough time. And I'm wondering if perhaps there might be some of us this morning that God might be saying to us, you know what, you've been in a very safe place for a long time. We live in a great little town called Prescott. We, we, have a, we have a very safe home that we live in. We have a pretty decent f- income. We're, de- we're, we're living fairly comfortably. And I'm wondering sometimes if we get too comfortable because we're living in the safe harbor. And I think there's times in our lives where God pushes us out of that safe place and says, come on, are you going to step up? Are you going to be courageous? Or are you going to take some risk? And maybe that's what God's saying to you this morning. He might be saying, you know what, it's time for you to share your faith with that person that you've been finally finding safety with and you've, you've taken the safe route out. 
or that ministry that perhaps you're supposed to get involved in that God's maybe been prompting you and it's getting you out of your comfort zone and you've been kind of hesitating, you've been holding back just like Esther was and making excuses and rationalizing when in reality God's saying, look, until you put your faith out there in front of you and take some risks, you're never going to know if you're going to make a difference in this world. So let's move on in the story when we read in uh, verses 12 through 14 because now it's time for Mordecai to put the pressure on. It's now time for him to go from push to shove. Let's read about it. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish, and who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. That, friends, is going from a push to a shove, right? That is where God is laying it on the line through Mordecai to say, Esther, no more excuses. You have got to make a decision here. If you don't, your family will die. And just because you're the queen doesn't excuse you from your ultimate responsibility to your family and to your people. And if you don't do this, God's going to find another way. But I believe that's the reason why God's put you here for this time and this place. Wow. How can you resist that? Anybody like that in the room here where sometimes you just need a good two by four upside the head? Get a little touch with reality? I mean, that's what Mordecai was doing with her. And so principle number five is sometimes we need to be shoved in order to get us motivated. Do you know anybody like that? Are you like that? Are you a little hard-headed? Got a little ego problem? You're happy in your nice little safety zone in your little bubble and somebody comes along and upsets your apple cart and says, hey, what about you? Why aren't you stepping up? Why aren't you doing this? Don't you think that maybe God has you here for this purpose and this time to make this happen? That was the shove. That was the shove that Esther needed. And thank God for a guy like Mordecai who stepped it up to encourage her to move on beyond her safety zone. And sometimes we need people in our lives, don't we? That need us to give us a little shove once in a while. Get us out of our safety zone. to Get up out of our comfort zone. God provides those people sometimes in our lives. Well, let's go to verses 15 and 17 and see what Esther's response was. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. There was a change that took place in Esther. But the first thing you see here about her is that she needed to have some intervention. And the intervention was, hey, tell all the Jews out there that you can gather, start praying. Fast and pray. Because I need to hear from the Lord. I need to hear from God on this. I need to create a strategy. I need to have a plan. And so let's take three days. Let's not just jump into this. Let's have a plan. Let me have it backed by prayer. And isn't it interesting how oftentimes what happens in our lives is that when we're faced with some sort of controversy, we're pushed out of our comfort zone. Sometimes we we hesitate going there. We either jump in with both feet or we don't do anything. But at least what she has the sense to do is saying, wait a minute, time out. Let's pray. Let's stop and pray. Let's make sure that we have God in this picture. Let's make sure because he's the one that's going to give us 
the victory on this. And she knew that her courage and success would have to come from the Lord's intervention. She knew that. She knew that this couldn't be done in a fleshly way. This was something that God had to be in or it wasn't going to work. And she comes to a conclusion here. If I die, I die. At least I tried. How many of us have had that attitude sometimes when it comes to a, a tough situation or, or taking a risk or taking on a challenge? And what I love about Esther is that she comes to a point where she says, you know what? I would rather fail than not do something here because I believe this is what God's calling me to do. Essentially, what happened here during that three-day period is that she went from a wimp to a warrior because of God's intervention and a time for her to spend time with God to get a plan together so that she could make move on. I, I think about David and Goliath. You remember when he went up against Goliath? In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45, it says this. It says, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and spear and a javelin, but I come against you in what? In the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defiled. See, David knew when he went up against Goliath that he had God on his side and God was orchestrating it and God was ordaining what he was about to do. And I believe that's what happened somehow with Esther. In that three-day period, we sensed that, that God was really moving in Esther's heart and she knew that God was the one who was going to have to intervene. And so I have this principle number six, and that's this. When we know that our mission is ordained by God, it gives us the courage to accomplish it. I remember over 30 years ago when I was moving my family to Phoenix to plant a church. We were just parachuting in, and we didn't know anybody in Phoenix. I didn't have any core group, but I knew that God gave me a scripture, and he told me back in, in Wisconsin before we moved, he said, make your highway in the desert, and every mountain will be lifted up, or every valley be lifted up, and every mountain will be made low, and then the voice of the Lord will be heard. I ca carried that in my heart, and I knew that God had ordained this opportunity for us to plant a church in Phoenix, and there were many, many days, I got to say, where it would have been really easy to quit. But it kept us in a position of, courageous, uh, of courage because we knew that we were called, and this whole mission was ordained by God, and it kept us in the game. And it was almost like, if I fail, I fail. And I think about any of us that there's times in our lives where we, we are challenged by God to do something, and, and the only thing sometimes we have to hang on to is that moment where God spoke to us and said, go for it. And there's times where it doesn't look very good, it doesn't look very exciting, it looks like it's very challenging, like it's not going to work. But what keeps us in the game, what keeps us courageous, what keeps us confident is that we know that God ordained it. And that's really what happened with Esther. I think when she went to the king, she knew that this moment was God-ordained. Fail or, or success. It didn't matter because God ordained it. He, she knew that God wanted her to do this. And if she died, she died. It's okay because I'm doing what God wants me to do. Do you have that same attitude about life? Do you really understand when there's things that we're challenged to do that we make sure that it's God ordained and when it is, we go for it? Man, I think God wants more warriors like that. Don't you think? And sometimes it's so easy to stay in our comfort zones, but it's times where we have Mordecai's in our life that maybe sometimes give us a whack upside the head and we finally spend some time with God and God says, you know what, do it. Take the risk. Step out in faith. So let me 
close with something here and uh, shorten the sermon this morning because we have a wonderful announcement we're going to make in just a minute. So I want to give the guys some time to do that. But let me just ask you some questions. And I, I look at this and I say, what might God be asking you to do to move you from your theory of, of harbor of safety to something that God wants you to do to make a difference? Is there anything God's saying to you right now? In fact, if I would encourage you to say, you know, even this week, when you're by yourself and you have some time with the Lord, just say, God, is there anything you're prompting me to do that's going to get me out of my comfort zone and take a risk? Because I want to be available. I want to be courageous. I, I don't want to live in this safe little bubble all the time. I want to take a risk. I want to get out of my comfort zone. So what might God be asking you to do? To get out of your safety zone. Is it to share your faith with that neighbor that you've been praying for for months, but you've never had the nerve to talk to him about it? Is it about that that situation that you've been uh, wanting to confront within the family relationships that you know that needs to be said and needs to be done, but you've been holding back because you don't feel, you, you feel like a wimp, you don't feel like God's calling you to do that, and now God's maybe prompting you saying, you know what, it's time for you to get out of that safe harbor and deal with it. I don't know what God might be saying to you this morning, but I hope that this message will be used to kind of be the shove that you need. Secondly, is there something that God seems to be asking something very difficult for you that you've been putting off for a long time? For some of you, you know that God has probably spoken to you long before this, and he said, you know what, go do it. Stop procrastinating, stop stop hesitating, stop being such a wimp about this. Go for it. And maybe you're that type of person, and maybe your wife has probably told you this, or your husband's told you this, or your kids have told you this. You say, you know, I was thinking about our friend Gary, who we showed on a video here a couple of weeks ago, and how he said, you know, God needed to use a two-by-four for me. And I'm, are you that kind of God person, where you just need a two-by-four? You need somebody to come and whack you upside the head and say, you know, it's about time you really stepped up. Get out of your comfort zone and go do it. And if you are, maybe you need to pray that God would remove some of that stubbornness and some of that pride, some of that ego that that keeps you from doing what God really wants you to do. And then I thought about this. Are you the one person? Think about this for a minute. Here here was what, what Mordecai says to Esther. You are here for this time and this place to make this much of a difference. Remember the power of one we talked about last week? And I'm wondering if any of us are sitting here this morning where God might be saying, you know what, Tom or Bill or whatever your name is, you're the person that needs to step up for this time and this place to make the difference. Could it possibly be you? Could that be you're the one person that God has ordained for this time and this place? It sure puts a lot of pressure on us, doesn't it? But sometimes we need that shove. Sometimes we need that shove from God to step out of our comfort zones and do something that's really, really difficult. We're going to see how Esther approaches all of this next week. So bear with me on this story. I'm going to close right now. Let's pray. And then we're going to ask the guys to come up here. Father, I thank you for a guy like Mordecai who with great influence and love for his adopted daughter that he was able to go to her And start with a push, but then it needed to go to a shove. The intensity of the moment. And God, there's probably a lot of us sitting here this morning that just need that shove. Forgive us for those times where you've pushed us and we've ignored it. We've hesitated. We've procrastinated. We've we've done everything we can to get out of it. But God, maybe there's somebody here that you're saying to them today, 
Get out of your comfort zone. Take the risk. Step out in faith. I've ordained this moment for you. Go do it. God, I don't know what that looks like in each one of our lives, but I trust that we would be sensitive enough that we would pray and seek your face, just like Esther did, to know what the next steps are for us to make those decisions and those ch- take on those challenges. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, we have a wonderful announcement for you to make about our search, and I'm going to ask Stan and Dave to come up, and they're going to share with you some pretty exciting stuff. So hang on. Thank you, Tom. Well, I'd like to pick up on a couple of items that Tom had mentioned in his sermon. One was theory and the other one's reality. And uh, the reason I'd like to share that is, first of all, let's go with the theory. Two weeks ago, Dave shared that the search team had given some candidate names to the elder team. And the elder team then went through these. And we were very close to making a decision. Um, As elder chair, the team and I have been in many meetings We've bathed ourselves in prayer, we've listened to the Holy Spirit, and had him speak to us for his direction and for his guidance. And then the theory, or excuse me, the reality. The reality is that we have brought a name to you, and we're bringing a name to you for our lead pastor position, and his name is Scott Savage. Scott and Danilin come from us, come to us from North Phoenix Baptist Church in Phoenix. And they have Wesley, who is in front, and they have Shayla and Max. Those two guys are going to be uh, two years old in uh, just, a couple, just a couple of months. But we are excited about this. Uh, Scott has been on staff with North Phoenix for 10 years. He is right now the lead pastor the lead teaching pastor at uh, North Phoenix, and he is also the pastor of Transformation. Um, As I say, I'm very excited about this, and this is the reality that we have brought this name to you for consideration, and I'd like to turn it to Dave for a little bit of an update as far as timing. Great. Thank you, Stan. God is good. Amen, Cornerstone? Awesome. Very cool. Well, I just want to go through kind of what that next step and what it's going to look like in terms of timing uh, with you all. So um, as Stan shared, we have asked uh, Scott and, and Danny to, uh, to come up. Um, it will actually be on May 29th. And so what you'll want to look at over the next couple of weeks is some more information about Scott so that you guys can um, take a look at and see a great opportunity to listen to some sermon pieces um, on the Internet, things like that. Um, but they will be here on May 29th uh, pre Um, We're also in the midst, so take a look at or look for more details to follow that we're uh, basically putting together uh, a reception opportunity after uh, the services uh, so that each of you have an opportunity to talk and interact with Scott and Danny um, and just get to know them. And a reminder, though, um, that we will then have, per our bylaws, we will have a vote seven days after. So that'll be that first weekend in June is when we'll vote uh, in regards to Scott. Um, Also, remember, uh, in order to vote, you must be a member, um, as we've shared throughout this entire time frame. Um, And again, that June 5th is when we will be voting for um, the pastor. So very exciting times as we move forward into that reality uh, part. Uh, Very excited how God is moving in this. And I would just ask that you guys continue to pray 
um, over uh, Scott and Danny and their family, and of course, uh, Cornerstone uh, through this transition. So with that, just want to turn it to stand and close this prayer. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we are so grateful that you've been there in this whole process, and as Tom's been preaching on you as the director of our lives, and you've been sitting in this chair, or that's what we put you there, but yet, Lord, you're in our entire presence throughout this whole building, throughout our entire lives. And so we thank you so much for the name that you've given to us. We thank you for this family. And Lord, as we move on and move ahead, Lord, may you go before us, and as we put our toes in the water, and our feet in the water, you part the sea and part the river for your kingdom. And we give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You're dismissed. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.